The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. The fact that scientists developed safe, effective vaccines in record time is an unbelievable achievement. And yet, despite the fact that we've now essentially clinically tested the vaccine on billions of people worldwide, around one in five Americans is still willing to put themselves at risk and put their families at risk rather than get vaccinated. People are dying because of misinformation. Early next year we'll be in the phase of chasing up people who haven't come forward to get their vaccination or have missed their bookings and so on. So uh, everyone will be able to get a vaccine between now and the end of the year. Uh, But of course, you know, and I want every New Zealander to come forward, but human behaviour suggests that there will be some people that we have to actually really go out and look for, uh, and, and some of that may spill into next year. But our commitment is everyone will have the opportunity to get the vaccine by the end of the year. Uh, everyone will, uh, but I can't say that, you know, that we're not going to have some hesitant people or some people who just haven't come forward that we don't have to go out and find next year. Pandemic has helped fuel a rise in the number of fatal cardiac arrests across the country, according to a new report. And what are health experts saying? Jane, they say the data is concerning and that's because it shows within the first eight months of 2022, more than 10,200 Australians died due to heart-related disease and that number is considered 17% higher than what would be considered normal. Now, I have been writing and talking about sports for 20 years, nearly. I started writing about sports uh, in 2004, which is like ancient history on the internet. Some of you have been reading and listening to me for nearly a generation now. I don't remember stories about athletes walking on college campuses and suddenly dropping. But the number of high school, college, even pro athletes who are suddenly just dropping all around the world seems to be a fairly substantial trend. As soon as Diamond hung up the phone, she said to me, I can't breathe. It was suddenly, out of nowhere, and no warning. I got her to the kitchen table, opened up the back door so that she can get some air. And each breath was less and less and less until her eyes became a stare. So what I want to say to everybody is don't you dare call me a conspiracy theorist. Because I saw it happen. I saw how it happened. I was there when it happened. And it happened suddenly. I want America to wake up and pay attention. Something ain't right. It's time to investigate what's really going on here and get some answers to why are people falling dead suddenly. 
And so the information war continues. You've got all of those proponents of getting the jab. That clip from Barack Obama was from nine months ago. All the rest of them just from over the weekend, including the new, I think it's the new PM coming into New Zealand. You thought the, the last woman was a, a radical, an extremist? <laughs> He's basically talking about hunting people down in New Zealand to make sure every single person gets the jab. And yet, you see all these people just dropping, dropping dead or, or dropping suddenly to the ground. And, and no real investigations as these, these there at the end of the montage as they bring out, people don't even want to talk about it. They won't even get into the subject. Well, more and more, there's a few more voices, as you can see from the last part of that montage. But why isn't it featured? Why isn't it at headlines? Why isn't it at the top of the news on the major cable stations? We have a lot to unpack as we proceed on today's show. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. You can get to the live video stream of this show at our website. That's thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live. And it takes you to the live stream page, and, and we, we broadcast live every weekday morning at 11 a.m. here in the central time zone of the United States. You can also email the program, if you like, td at thetrumpet.com. And our 800 number, if you live in the U.S., Canada, or the Caribbean, it's 1-866-930-3024. So Australia sees a 16, or rather a 17% surge in uh, heart-related emergencies, uh, heart-related disease. Just last year, 17% above normal, and we didn't play the whole report for you, but no mention of the, of the jab. No, it doesn't even get a mention. They can't even bring that up as a possibility. Even with all of the studies on myocarditis and everything else, heart-related, they talk about the lockdown. Remember when you couldn't bring up the side effects of the lockdown? Now they're all bringing it up because it's a convenient replacement to the real cause of all of these heart-related diseases. It's not just in Australia. As you know, there's studies now coming out of the UK, the United States. We've given them to you on this program. But how do you talk about a 17% rise in heart-related disease and not even mention this, this experiment? Obama himself, the dear leader, said it's being experimented on billions of people. That's basically the, the clinical test. They didn't have time to do it. They didn't take time to do it before they rolled out the vaccine. So they've been testing it on humanity. And now people are dropping dead. Suddenly. It's happening just suddenly. Silk's friend Diamond. She just fell to the ground and couldn't breathe. She, healthy before that. I think she was in her late 40s, early 50s. You have the, the Fox News executive, 47 I think it was. He died suddenly last week. Sam said he heard an NPR segment over the weekend about public schools here in the United States setting up programs to make sure staff and students uh, know the CPR, know how to bring someone back who's having a heart-related disease or illness. They're just putting, as this is just normal. 
I mean, we've got all of these heart issues now, so we've got to start educating high schools across the country. This is what to do if someone suddenly collapses. Is this normal? Something that used to be so rare. Even when, I mean, Clay Travis, he's the sports commentator that was in that montage. He brings out in this next clip that, you know, you go back 20, 30 years, and if you have some an athlete collapsing suddenly, I mean, that led to all kinds of changes and tests and things of that nature. But today it happens, and we're supposed to just kind of move on. I guess it's normal now. Listen to clip four. Why are all those sports media who ran around like crazy saying, hey, if we play in 2020, athletes and coaches are going to die, which didn't happen, right? Data doesn't reflect that at all. Why are they not asking more questions now that we are seeing so many otherwise young and healthy athletes dropping? And I'll use the example here of Hank Gathers, okay? When Hank Gathers collapsed in 1990, it was important to do a deep dive to figure out what was the cause of that. And it ended up that he had a heart abnormality. And as a result, it became standard for most colleges and pro sports teams to conduct deep EKGs, deep analysis of hearts to try to identify athletes that might have heart-related conditions before they actually collapsed like Hank Gathers did and died. I said the same thing about DeMar Hamlin. We need a deep understanding. And when I see people like Dr. Fauci say, you can't even mention the fact that COVID shots might be involved here. Well, if we have, as the data is reflecting, a much higher incidence of heart-related issues among athletes, why would we not want to deep dive here? But shouldn't we know what these kids are actually risking when they get the COVID shot? He mentions the testing that just goes on automatically with college level, pro level. It happens at the high school level as well. Getting a physical before you can participate in this activity. And so the chances of someone advancing all the way through their high school career, then college, then on the professional level, and having a serious heart condition, I mean, the chances of that happening, there, there, there just wouldn't be that many instances of it. Now you have people collapsing after having had all these physicals, tests along the way, but there's just something happening suddenly. And we're supposed to just pretend that it's normal. Why not take a deep dive into it, as he suggests there? If Hank gathers as one incident, one tragic incident in 1990 triggered all of these changes as far as let's do tests here, let's make sure, we just want to make sure that no one gets into a strenuous sport such as this if they've got a, a heart condition. Hamlin, by the way, DeMar Hamlin, he was at the Bills game yesterday, and all of the, the footage of him, you can't even really identify him. He's got his head covered, and uh, he's wearing the mat. It was cold. Okay, it was cold. But they're definitely shielding him from the cameras, assuming it's him. Of course, there's all kinds of speculation on the, uh, on the Internet. But if his face is disfigured because of Bell's palsy or whatever else, here again, here's another thing connected to the vaccines. If we're honest, if we're honest. Look at the, the dishonesty. 
and then just the blotting out as we cover so much on this program. Just, just don't even give it any coverage whatsoever. A very touching tribute to the Fox News executive, 47. He's got a family, children, that sort of thing. But, but, but does that not trigger some guy? It was mandatory at Fox. Got to get the jab. Uh, the NBA, Clay Travis men mentions the NBA. I mean, uh, Kyrie Irving couldn't even play in his home games because it was too dangerous. This, this was during the COVID hysteria. He couldn't play because it was so dangerous for him to, to play without the vaccine. Now you have all of these instances, sudden collapses, sudden deaths, and we just go right on playing as if nothing happened. We just go right on. Listen to Clay Travis again. This is clip five. Why am I like the only person in sports media with a really big audience even asking these questions? How many different athletes and young men in particular, but also young women, have to collapse before we say, hey, let's rigorously analyze whether the COVID shot might be causing any of these incidents at all. Where is everybody else in the media? They're all silent. They're all cowards. They're all complicit in selling what appears to be a lie, which is that there's no risk factors whatsoever that come from young people who have zero risk from COVID, getting a COVID shot that we barely tested at all. I'm not pretending to be an expert, but the job of media, and I am in media, is very often to speak out on issues that we see. Why are you hearing almost no one else even say anything? I would argue it's because most people in sports media are cowards, and they are afraid of examining what the actual data says because it may challenge their pre-existing belief system that the COVID shot was a gift from God and everybody should get like six of them. I never got the COVID shot. I'm questioning why in the world are many colleges and universities still demanding the COVID shot? Why are any people in their 20s, their 30s, teenagers or younger getting this COVID shot at all? It is poison. Appears to be poison to their bodies based on the data. And it may, and I stress may, may be creating actual deaths from otherwise young and healthy people. One of the few voices in sports media, as he noted there at the start of that clip, look at the story we covered last week. The, the sports media, radical leftists, so many of them, and their heads just exploding over this hockey player that wouldn't wear the, ram the rainbow flag. The, the team should be fined a million dollars. He should be suspended, this player. One NHL player and the whole world of sports media erupts because he wouldn't wear a T-shirt. And then this. And they, they're completely silent. They, they blot it out. It's not even allowed to be discussed. Boy, it, it certainly does show that if it's not within their, <laughs> their, their, their and as he noted there, if, if they're not going to come back and admit they were wrong, not on something like this, they're still demanding it. Look at the new guy going in as, as PM in New Zealand.
Hunt them down. Everybody's got to get the jab. That's their position here in late January 2023. Even after we've accumulated all of this evidence, facts, studies, the vaccine's been out there long enough for us to begin to see it's having an impact. There's all these adverse reactions. There's all these injuries associated with it. There's even sudden deaths. And the fact that it's happening among young people. This is from the Western Journal in Canada uh, regarding an incident in Texas. A Texas middle school teacher collapsed in front of his class and died earlier this month. Staff members conducted CPR on Jacob Sanchez, 35, who was a coach and teacher at Divine Middle School in San Antonio, according to KSAT. It says the Bexar County Medical Examiner's Office later reported that Sanchez died of a heart attack. So again, a lot of this, this evidence is anecdotal. We, we can't pretend that we're experts on this program either. But isn't there enough of this to at least investigate? To at least ask questions? Evidently not. Not if you're in a position of authority. Not for most. Not for most in the media. And yet those that are seeing it happen, those who know, think of that Rasmussen poll where uh, a large percentage of Americans say that they know someone who died because of the vaccine. I forget what the exact percentage was, 20, 30 percent. But we, we, we covered that for you on this program. But those are, I mean, those are, you can't even wrap your mind around those kinds of figures. That many people? Well, according to Rasmussen, in the case of Silk, of Diamond and Silk, I mean, she saw it happen right in front of her eyes. Listen to one more clip from her eulogy, clip two. Instead of asking if Americans are vaxxed or unvaxxed, the real question to ask is, are Americans being poisoned? In case some of you have been hiding under a rock or still stuck in denial, People are dropping dead around here. And nobody's talking about it. They're dropping dead suddenly and unexpectedly. The catchphrase is sad, S-A-D, sudden adult death syndrome. Many calls it a conspiracy theory. I call it murder. Wonder how much coverage that clip got. I mean, I saw it online over the weekend. You, you couldn't miss it on Twitter, I guess. But uh, it'll be interesting as we go into the news cycle this week. Is that going to be covered on Fox News? Is that going to be covered on CNN, MSNBC, any of the main networks? What she said right there. Don't dare call me a conspiracy theorist. I saw this sudden, this sudden adult death syndrome right in front of my eyes. Sudden collapses. It's happening all. And if you're, if you're, if you're not acknowledging this, then you must be under a living under a rock somewhere, as she says. It's poison. So much sickness. Boy, we could go to Isaiah one every single day. So much evil and corruption and sickness and disease. We're disease stricken. The heart is faint. It says in Isaiah one. The heart is faint in more ways than one. There was an interesting video. This is about a minute uh, on how, I forget who put it out, I think one of, one of the conservatives in uh, Congress linked to it. But 
This is how you go about stealing an election. Just speaking of, of sickness and disease and lawlessness and corruption. Notice this, clip three. Start with a virus, imported into America. Talk about it nonstop. Call some governors. Not them, not them. That's your guys. Put patients into nursing homes. Tell thousands. Blame the president. Keep blaming. Blame some more. Lock down small business. Kill the economy. Push mail-in voting. Stoke a race war. Call for riots. Pick a candidate. No, not her. Yeah, that's more like it. Lock him in his basement. Shield him from the press. Don't cover this. Don't cover this. Don't cover this. Keep doing that. Ignore the economic recovery. Downplay the world peace. Pump the pause. Pump. Pump. Don't stop pumping. Install your software in swing states. That was fast. Take control of polling stations. Call off the election when you're losing. Kick everyone out. Pull out all the extra ballots. Get the software to do its thing. Get the media to say it's over. Call the big tech guys. Ban anyone who notices. Act like the whole thing never happened. Stealing the most powerful republic in the world. It's that easy. How much of that can you can you deny? I mean, it's it's America under attack. Just as we point out in our a lot of what's covered in that video, by the way, that little one minute video, it's discussed at length in this book, America under attack. Call our operators one eight six six nine three zero three zero two four. Look at what has played out in these last few years. Just in the last three years, three four years. America under attack. It brought out the the riots. Remember that in the lead up to the election of 2020, just stoking hatred and cities going up in flames. Even as even as your journalists, the talking heads in the media were saying, "There's nothing to worry about here. There's nothing really even to look at. Everything here is peaceful." Antifa. They were rioting this weekend in Atlanta. And here, here come the same talking heads who told us January 6th was the worst thing ever. Worse than, this, worse than anything since the Civil War. And notice how they cover the rioting in Atlanta. You've got footage of police cruisers going up in flames yet again. Play clip seven. Are you surprised to see the violence that we have seen there tonight? What do you think? Well, I think that there's a real blurring of the lines and the use of the word violence. I don't think this is a smart move. Um, I don't think it's it's a productive move from from the standpoint of, of the protesters. Um, but as, as even the chief himself said, this is a small group. Um, this, this isn't this is also within this defend the forest movement. Um, there are no leaders. Vehicle still uh, up in flames here over at the at Andrew Young and Peachtree. And if you take a look over here, if you pan over, I want to show you. This is what they were handing out at that protest. So it was a largely peaceful protest where they just wanted what they're calling justice. <laughs> it's a repeat of 2020. The, the you see the police cruiser in the background there going up in flames. Well, mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful. And what do you think about the violence? Well, now let's not uh, call it violent. I, I guess I wouldn't say it's smart. It's not smart, uh, but it's a small group. And there's no leaders, by the way. They know right now there's nobody's inciting it. There's nobody like Donald Trump that's telling them, you go into the Capitol. 
And uh, that's where the problems are. Oh, excuse me, that's Ray Epps. Sorry. It was Donald Trump who was saying, make it peaceful. But then they say he's the cause of this so-called violence. I mean, they were saying papers knocked off Pelosi's desk was the worst thing since the Civil War. They said that less than two years ago. And now look, here comes more rioting. Here comes more vandalism. Here comes more burning and looting. And they're, they're there to tell you it's not violent. It's, it's just peaceful. The, the level of lawlessness, corruption, it's like up is down and, and black is white. It's an upside down world, just like Isaiah 5 says. And in the case of the election steal and everything around the, 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 the very swampy Washington, D.C. area, it's the Antiochus who's behind that attack. Again, that's brought out in the book, America Under Attack. Speaking of the Antiochus, Barack Obama gave, he gave sort of his end of the year uh, review, pointed out some of the hot spots on earth, but then said, you know what, pretty much this is... 2022 was really a, a great year. It was special. This is clip number nine. By any measure, 2022 was a historic year with democratic values under assault around the world. We saw it in Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine, in the unchecked spread of disinformation, and in the growing number of leaders who refused to stand up for the basic principles that make democracies function. But despite these threats, what gave me hope this year was seeing so many people around the world fighting back. In 2022, we saw voters reject anti-democratic candidates at the ballot box. An international consensus began to form around steps we need to take to address the climate crisis. And around the world, ordinary people, and especially young people, stood up for their basic rights. He gave messages like that during his first and second term where he talked about how wonderful the world was, even as the world was going up in flames. This, this, this communist infiltration, I had another one, I should have brought it with me, another article in the news stack uh, brought to my attention from Mr. Armstrong. I think it was from the 19, uh, maybe the 1960s or 70s, where he was talking about how that these communists, they subvert el the election process. And then, and then, like you heard there, they, they subvert it, and then they talk about democracy. They talk about the people. They love the people going to the streets, burning down the city, so long as they're, they're from the radical left. It, it just brings about growth and development, those kinds of protests, even as they squash all dissent. That's Barack Hussein Obama. That's your real president in this illegitimate presidency that's running the nation because they've gotten everything that they could get out of Joe Biden. Another big batch of documents. Now the DOJ, they're going in, they're searching the property together with the attorneys for the White House. They, they couldn't trust Donald Trump's attorneys to be there to, to oversee the process at Mar-a-Lago. But you notice how, just how friendly the DOJ and the FBI and these agents are with all of the White House attorneys. And here they're, they're going in, they're finding more, even more documents they're throwing them under the bus, as I've said, most of them. There's still, there's still plenty who want to cover for him. They, they, the, the main thing, and I think Sundance is right about this, the main thing here, they're not looking to try to send Biden to the slammer for, for decades. 
They just want to get him out of the way. Just like Bernie Sanders, back when he was running with uh, or against Hillary Clinton, they, they had to get Sanders out of the way. So they'll cheat. They'll do whatever. They, they do whatever they can to subvert democracy. They've got to get Biden out of the way now because he's finished. This is uh, a couple of clips from over the weekend. Democrats speaking to this uh, new discovery, clip eight. But how can he say he takes classified material seriously when some of what was found may have been in his home for more than a decade and he seemingly had no idea? Well, the important point there, Martha, is that he had no idea. So um, I do think this was inadvertent. The whole point of having a special counsel is to ensure that and to give the American people confidence in that. I want to play something that you said last year about the classified documents found at his Mar-a-Lago resort. It's an outrage. It is a literal outrage for the president to take this important information down to his home in Florida and then store it in a closet with traffic people back and forth in his resort and golf course is an outrage. Is it also an outrage for the current president to have what appears to be multiple classified documents in multiple locations? At its heart, the issue is the same. Those documents should not have been in the personal possession of either Joe Biden or Donald Trump. But what happened and followed from it is significantly different. So there they are. And the talking heads, I love how that they're using this now to basically pat themselves on the back. Look at how objective we are. Look, we're, we're actually comparing this to what happened at Mar-a-Lago. The first one there saying the most important point here is that he had no idea what was going on. That's not exactly a hearty endorsement of the, the president, the so-called president of the United States. This was from uh, the DOJ statement regarding the discovery of this. What are we now at the sixth batch? They're going to catch up with the Twitter file reveals the six. How many batches of documents are there? says here, DOJ took possession of materials it deemed within the scope of its inquiry, including six items consisting of documents with classification markings and surrounding materials. Six items, and they don't really elaborate on what they mean by items. I don't think it's just like six sheets like this. Six batches, six items, six discoveries. How many, how many classified documents are we talking about here? I guess that, that remains to be seen. It says here, some of the markings, classification markings and surrounding materials, some of which were from the president's service in the Senate. So, okay, Obama comes in in 2009. Then uh, he's vice president, Joe Biden, from 2009 to 2017. After that, he was, teaching a, he was teaching at the University of Pennsylvania, though he never gave a lecture, but leave that aside. So it's before 2009 that he was serving in the Senate. So we're talking about documents sitting in his home, sitting in Hunter's garage, sitting in the University of, of Pennsylvania for 15 years, 15, 20 years, going back to his days in the Senate. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And then Donald Trump, he leaves. He leaves with the napkins and the dinner menus, and he's negotiating with the archives. Okay, look, I should be able to keep these. You can come down here and check what I've stored them in. You can look at all these things. And then they say Donald Trump didn't cooperate. They're cooperating now because they have to. 
But these documents have been there or hidden or whatever. Who knows where they've been transported from one place to the next? There was one report over the weekend that one batch was in Chinatown in Washington, D.C. Chinatown? Classified documents from the U.S. government, from the Senate, the White House, whatever it might be from, making their way from Chinatown over to Delaware, I guess, where the house is. It's unbelievable. Sundance says this, interestingly, the Biden lawyers seemingly admit their client had been taking classified documents home for quite some time. You can find it in that DOJ statement, going back to his Senate days even, some of them. It says further on, many people have wondered if Joe Biden was being set up for failure over the classified document scandal. In my opinion, the entire operation is being managed, but not to, but not to remove Biden, simply to control him and ensure he doesn't run again. It says, when it comes to the insurance of their ideological long-term goals, Democrats play cutthroat politics much better than most imagine. He says, ask Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders knows something about that. Says, now overlay Joe Biden's personal lawyer, Bob Bauer. He's married to, uh, I think it's Anita Dunn. Anita Dunn was instrumental in bringing Barack Obama into office years ago. All of these people, they're connected to Obama. Obama's running the show. And as you saw from that little clip, his year-end review, he's loving it. He loves him some bitter affliction. He thinks it's great what's happening in the United States right now. He's the one subverting democracy. He's the communist, the chief communist infiltrator. He loves it. It says, think about who exactly it was discovering these documents and why. If Obama is the silent partner in the background of the Biden administration, then Anita Dunn is the operational manager. If Dunn is the operational manager, then her husband, that's the chief attorney, that's the White House attorney. Her husband is very useful as the principal's attorney. It says, from the big picture, it sure looks like Bauer is playing the role of Brutus. So they want to get him out, or in Sundance's view, they at least want him not to run for re-election. They've got to get someone, but, but boy, it sure seems like they just want to get him out even before the end of this term. Ron Klain, he's Biden's chief of staff. He's already announced or at least there's been reports that he's going to step down. They're, they're jumping off the sinking ship is what's happening. They know the handwriting is on the wall. As I say, look at the, just look at the level of collaboration between all of these agencies and the White House attorneys and Barack Obama and the way that they you know, have a nice friendly uh, search during, during the weekend or over the weekend at the Biden properties. And of course, then you talk about, as we've discussed in recent weeks, the, uh, the collaboration between the deep state and social media, big tech. Chris Ray was at, we told you last week, he was at that World Economic uh, Conference or forum. And listen to him talking about just the cozy relationship that they enjoy. The FBI, he's the head of the FBI the cozy relationship that they've enjoyed with the, the private sector. This is clip six. And I think the, uh, the sophistication of the private sector is, is improving and, and particularly important, the level of collaboration between the private sector and the government, especially the FBI, has, I think, 
made significant strides. You can almost hear him testifying now before one of the House committees. Well, tell us about this collaboration between you and the private sector. Collaboration? What are you talking about? We're, we're not collaborating. We're not stifling free speech. There he's, he's basically bragging to the world. Of course we work with the private sector. Of course we have this cozy relationship with Twitter or whoever else. We've got to stop disinformation. That's really a, a grave danger. Barack Obama, the dear leader, said so himself. We've got to keep it in check, you see. And of course, he's the one, or one of them, who determines what's disinformation and what's not. He's the one who determines, he's the good guy. Listen to another one of his statements from last week, clip 10. The good guys are constrained by the rule of law and international norms. Bad guys aren't, which you could argue, in a sense, gives them a competitive advantage. What does that give those in the FBI if they turn bad, if they're rogue, if they're not constrained by the rule of law? They can destroy people. And we've seen it happen. We've seen it play out over and again. Well, there's a few more items that I could get to. I'll just hold off until tomorrow's program. We'll take a quick break and then come back and conclude with today's Bible study segment. You're listening to Stephen Flurry. This is The Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. Freedom is one of the most sought after ideals in human history. Man's search for freedom has taken him into the fiercest of protests, struggles, revolutions, civil wars, and even world wars. Today, in the midst of free societies, many continue to fight for what they perceive as ever greater freedoms. And yet, many of these same people are actively fighting against law. Few people understand that this war against law actually undermines true freedom. To learn more, request Gerald Flurry's booklet, No Freedom Without Law. In this free booklet, you will see what the Bible says about the latter-day spirit of rebellion and lawlessness that is now so common in our nations today. Also request America Under Attack. In this booklet, you will learn more about the spirit behind this attack on law. You'll see where this is leading. Both booklets are offered freely at no cost or obligation to you. Request No Freedom Without Law and America Under Attack. Email your request to td at kpcg.fm or visit thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. Some of the, the recent messages, really even going back over the, the last uh, couple of years, the, the messages that God has inspired for so many of us in his family, in his church, they've revolved around building stronger faith, just putting our trust, our reliance upon God, and knowing that if God says it, then that's all that we need. That's all. The, look at what the Bible says in, in Romans 4 or in Genesis 12 or in Genesis 22 about Abraham and, and the instructions that God gave to him. And then Abraham just going forward in faith. The scriptures say he believed God. And now think about how much 
stress, how much pressure, how much anxiety that removes from our lives or our thinking, if we just believe God, if we just trust God, that removes so much in the way of fear and anxiety, worry, stress. And that's the kind of life that we want to lead, a stress-free life. Now the Bible also talks about God's way of life being the straight and narrow way. And no one ever said to us coming into the church that it would be easy to live God's way of life. In fact, the count the cost chapter, Luke 14, it says here that you've got to be, you've got to be willing to give up uh, anything and everything, anyone even, to follow God. You can't let anything or anyone separate you from your relationship with God and Jesus Christ, from your covenant with Jesus Christ. So it's not easy, but there is so much joy and contentment that comes with obeying God in faith. Just trusting God in faith. Notice this example in Exodus 14, and we'll start in verse 8. Verse 8 says, And the Eternal uh, hardened the heart of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he uh, pursued after the children of Israel. This is after the Israelites had fled from Egypt. Pharaoh has a change of heart. He sends the Egyptian army after the Israelites. It says, And the Egyptians pursued after them, verse 9, all the horses, the chariots of Pharaoh, and his horsemen, and his army. And then they got down and uh, near the Red Sea and, and had the people of Israel trapped. They were penned in. You had the army and the mountain range and then the, the sea behind them. Surrounded. It was an impossible position to be in. Impossible to escape. And yet that was the, that was the position that God wanted them in. The Israelites. It says in verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Eternal. They were sore afraid, the Bible says. But then it also says that they cried out to God. They were totally dependent on God. Verse 11 says, And they said to Moses, because there were no great, totally dependent in the sense that, that Moses, a righteous leader, understood this. Them, not so much, because they immediately complained. They murmured. They blamed Moses. It says in verse 12, Is not this the word that we did tell you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? So they started to revise the history, saying that actually we kind of preferred being in Egypt. We kind of enjoyed captivity. Look at what you've done to us, Moses. You led us into this trap. Now we're all going to die. Verse 13, it says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear you not, stand still, and see the salvation of the eternal, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians, whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. So Moses tried to calm them down and tell them, Look, we're in a good position. We're on God's side. And if we're with God, that puts us at an advantage. That makes us the winner. That puts us on the side of the winning team. Chapter 16, this is still in Exodus, Exodus 16. 
And verse 1, it says, And they took their journey from Elam, and uh, all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, between, uh, which is between Elam and Sinai. This is uh, verse 2. It says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Would to God, would to God we had died by the hand of the Eternal in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread and we had it so good, they go on and say. We, I wish we would have just died there. At least we could have died happy. We, we wouldn't have been hungry. But now look at where we are. Here again. Here again. Complaining, murmuring, just a negative spirit. And worrying. Fearful. Worrying about everything. Fearful. Not fearing God way, but just fearful of every possible, every possible thing that could go wrong. What does it say in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 6? Notice it says, Now these things, speaking of this history, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also uh, lusted. This is all their for us. This is all written and recorded for us. Verse 11, it says, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So God wants us to learn from this history, to learn from these examples, to learn that when we're trapped, when we're in the midst of an impossible situation, impossible to get out of, a bad situation, danger, we can put our trust and our faith in God and that does, oh, that does so much to just remove the worry and the fear and the anxiety. Romans 8 and verse 14. Let's just read this. It says, For as many as are led uh, by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. <clears throat> and notice what that makes us. Verse 15, it says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. It's not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of love and of, of power and of a sound mind. It says in 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship, it should read, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Even the King, King James translators couldn't quite wrap their mind around the God family vision, so they put the word adoption there. Instead of sonship, but look, we cry out, Abba, Father, because he's the father of the family, and we're his children, his sons. God will take care of us. God will protect us. God will be our guide. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not going to be needing anything, really, if I have the shepherd watching over the flock. As I say, that doesn't mean it's the smooth and easy way, the way of a Christian. And it certainly doesn't mean that we'll never die physically. It's given to man once to die, but then after that, the resurrection. That's at the end of Hebrews 9. But we can even die the way that Paul did. I mean, we take such a different view of physical death in God's family. It's not that we all look forward to it, but you can even be on your deathbed or awaiting your execution in the case of the Apostle Paul, and know that you've, you've fought the fight and know that the crown is there waiting for you. 
You can read the last chapter of 2 Timothy. What an inspiration that book is. Paul, as so many people were falling away, that, that was the real tragedy. That all of Asia had fallen away from the truth. These people were dying spiritually. And yet Paul was filled with the Spirit of God. And Paul had qualified. By that point, he knew it. He had qualified for a crown. It's all there in 2 Timothy 4. We're going to see Paul again. If we remain faithful to the end, he's going to be resurrected to life and then live forever in God's kingdom. There's certainly more to this physical life than just this physical life. If in this life only we have hope, we're going to end up miserable. That's in 1 Corinthians 15. And so we can be confident in Christ. We can put our faith, our trust, our reliance upon God, and then have some of those fears and worries just removed or fritter away. Because we're walking, not by sight, it may look bad, but we're walking by faith. Notice 1 John 4 and verse 18. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. It says, He that fears is not made perfect in love. If God's love is dwelling in you, then fear is, is cast out. We don't have to fear or worry. Notice John chapter 6. This is John 6, and we'll start in verse 35. Some of these verses are embedded into my notes, and some are not. That's why I, that's why I always bring my Bible in addition to my notes. The notes are uh, a nice way to keep everything really well organized and a good way to make it efficient so we can move through some material a little bit quicker. But certainly for your daily Bible study, it's a wonderful exercise to just flip through the pages and to read it straight from the book and to feed on these words, these precious words. Consume all of it. Don't let any of it go to waste. That principle is brought out here in, uh, in John 6. I guess I can just read it since I mentioned it. Verse 27, it says, Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which enters into everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him has God the Father sealed. Labor for spiritual food. Fill up on spiritual food. If you're full spiritually, even at the very last bit of your physical life, you can still go out triumphant, knowing that there's a crown waiting for you, knowing that you've qualified, that you've qualified for this glorious, glorious inheritance. Verse 35, a little further down, it says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. See, all of these examples from the Old Testament, the fact that God rained manna down from heaven so that they could, so that they could receive their sustenance, their food, their nourishment physically, it's, it's all pointing to the spiritual nourishment that we receive daily through Bible study, through prayer. Notice verse 48. He says again, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are, and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, 
that a man may eat thereof and not die. Again, he's not talking about living on forever in this physical frame. But, but he's talking about inheriting eternal life in the God family, in the God kingdom. He says again, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall, he shall uh, live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. It says the Jews therefore strove while well, they kind of were arguing back and forth um, because of this instruction. They didn't quite understand it. It says in verse 57, and as the, the living father has sent me and I live by the father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. See, if we're consuming the words of Christ, the life of Christ that is the Holy Bible, then he will fill our lives and we'll be living and walking by faith. And what a way, as I say, to remove the anxiety, the stress, the pressure, the strain of it all. What a way to eliminate discouragement and depression. Just to be totally dependent on God. To fill up on the love of God. To consume the life of Christ. So that he can live in you. Just conclude over in Hebrews 12. I brought this out in class earlier today. After reading it over the weekend. But Paul is writing here about salvation. He says in chapter 12 of verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Lay aside those sinful weights. They really do slow us down. It says in the rest of the verse here, And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We're in a race, and we've got to run, but yet run with patience. I've talked about having a, a sense of patient urgency, like it says in the Hebrews booklet. But notice verse 2. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus starts it, and he finishes and, and our job, Romans 6, you can study that on your own time, is to just yield to God, to yield to our Father in heaven, and to follow in the steps of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 2.21. He's the one that starts us off on this race. And by, by the power of God's Spirit, by Him living in our lives, He will lead us to victory. He will finish. We've just got to be willing to follow, to yield to that lead. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily, the 800 number, 1-800-1866, I should say, 930-3024. Send us an email. That's tdatthetrumpet.com. We thank you for joining us on the show today, and we'll see you on the show tomorrow. Tomorrow.